Last week we hit the first seven verses of Jude, so we're going to go to verse 8 today. We'll do a little luck of what we did last week. Jude writes to combat false teachers. Uh, it's one of those letters the, of warning that's out there. And he does two main things here in this book. He's indicated that there's a true faith. Uh, we talked about this last week. Faith there meaning teaching and doctrine. There's a true way to represent God and the way he represented himself. Um, and we can count on it. It's once for all delivered to God's people, it said. Um, so it can be counted on to re be revealed by God to the church by his first century representatives, which are the apostles. And so uh, that's a big deal, obviously, in Jude's eyes. Um, and I think these two words are good ones to remember because in different ways of presenting spirituality and religion and God, there's the word necessary and the word sufficient. Um, we may believe, there may be lots of people who believe Jesus is necessary, that you have to have him, but he's not sufficient, some say. Well, Jude writes, and the New Testament writes, and we believe that he's both necessary and sufficient. You don't, you don't need to add to what's been revealed in any way. It's kind of why we have what's called a closed canon. You know, you have to ask the question, what more do you need to know to be a follower of Christ? Is there more information? You know, do you have the 27 books of the New Testament memorized at this point? Um, what more... What's, it, what's insufficient by it? And there, there are a lot of beliefs out there at different levels that see Jesus as necessary, but not sufficient. You've got to do more things. Either you have to do more things on your own, or you add other people to it, or you essentially make him less than the Bible says that he, or what he said he was. So it should be sufficient uh, for us to see that what true doctrine and what is false doctrine, that's the key here. We're supposed to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Well, that implies that we can know what it is. That'd be really mean of God to say, you need to make sure you contend with the true faith, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's going to be a puzzle. Uh, or maybe you got to give more money. How's that? How's that? That one's out there too, right? Um, but, you know, the verse that comes to mind, of course, is 2 Timothy 3.16, another cool 3.16 verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God. You know, God breathed. Theonopsis is a cool Greek word. And profitable for what? Well, for teaching. It's kind of a little bit what Jude is talking about. For reproof. Well, reproof is, is kind of reproofing your actions. You know, don't, don't do that. Uh, uh, correction. Kind of correcting your doctrine. And for training. Training in what? Training in righteousness. You know, it seems like this is sufficient for what we, we need. And I think it, it, I'm hitting this hard because it's big. It's, it's a big deal on our contemporary Christianity. Is this enough? You get this. Well, the Bible's an old book. And, you know, it, okay, it is quite old. Uh, but just because something's old doesn't mean it's not living, right? You know, you know really, Jesus is pretty old if you think about it. What's this year, 2022? And we're probably off by a few years, but he's like 2,000 years old. You know, you take off, what, three days when he was dead? You know, I mean, we can take that off if you want, but he's been around a long time, but is he, is he still useful? You know, just because something's old doesn't mean it's bad. And so I think this is the idea. If, is this is God's word? Follow it. If it's not, don't. It really is what it comes down to. And Jude thinks it is, and so people who are teaching against the 
faith once for all delivered to the saints, will be punished. And this is in, it's more punishment in this book than anything else. Uh, you know, we don't like that as well. It's like, I didn't write it. Uh, but it, it's obviously important to know what's going to happen. So he gave three examples from the Old Testament where people were punished. The, the Exodus folks who did not follow Yahweh. Um, uh, the angels, and we talked about that a little bit, and he hits that in those verses that didn't keep their proper place and rebelled in some way. And then he used Sodom and Gomorrah as, uh, as in the New Testament, often shown as, as a, a very high level of uh, debauchery and uh, not following of what God wants and the punishment that comes. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if I just thought about that, but, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, obviously had a, a type of sin that was, you know, a sexual sin, a, a degrading sin. And, and, you know, we can say today, it's like, well, how come certain places aren't getting that now? You know, why are they allowed to do this? And there's no hellfire and brimstone. It's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll look into that a little bit now. It's, it's really up to God to decide who he wants to destroy and when, right? Um, but it's out there. It's it, the idea those those past punishments were given. So, he also, he uses as an analogy, these false teachers are going to get punished unless they repent, along with those who follow their teachings, because if you're, te if you're following a false gospel, it's not saving. And that's what he's trying to get back. We want to get to the true Jesus, his teachings and his identity, which brings us to verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people, that's these false teachers, false prophets, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I've heard of this before. This is a little odd. We'll, we'll look into it. Um, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. To Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees and laid autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. There is a lot in these verses, so we're going to be here for a long time. Now we'll be here the normal time. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot here, um, a lot to kind of piece through. What, what's the key here? These, the godness of the false teachers, there's really kind of four categories, and that's what the sermon's going to be, these four categories of things that, that Jude's talking about. And again, kind of when I talk to the, the kids, this isn't that hard, uh, and we do this in all our Bible studies here. Um, you you, you want to figure out the context. You know, what's the context? We've got some context you might not have known that Michael and the devil contended for the bones of Moses. It's not something we talk about all the time, right? Well, what's the context? What are we talking about? And eventually, you want to observe everything and try to get a meaning. You want God's meaning. Um, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you got to work at it. Uh, I, I sometimes wish it was easier. Some of it is. This is a little harder. And then you can apply it to your life. 
But what we tend to do sometimes with Scripture is we go apply it before we know what it means. It's kind of like trying to put together the Ikea thing before you read the instructions. Um, might work out for you. Then again, it might not. Uh, I think we need to know what it means before we apply it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go out applying things when you don't know what it's talking about. So what's the first thing? Well, they're rejecting authority. That's the big thing. Uh, in that verse 8, apparently... They were declaiming divine revelation through dreams, which gave them permission to participate in immoral acts. And, and you see this throughout the history of Christianity. Dreams uh, being used. Now, there are dreams used once in a while in the Bible, right? You've got a, a dream that, that, uh, that Joseph had that tended to tick off both his brothers and his dad. Uh, but you can read about that in Genesis. Uh, so God used dreams, and, and you've got the dreams of Pharaoh uh, that were interpreted, that gave them information that Joseph also used. Um, so the, I'm not saying dreams can't be used, but you don't see them in there a whole lot. Uh, about there's no, there's no verse in the Bible that says, take a nap, and God will tell you what you need to know. Um, can he? Well, sure. Uh, but it seems like a lot of wasted effort to make sure his representatives on earth made sure that we get this text that's God-breathed and useful for all these things and then say, well, don't worry about this dream. It, it, it's probably not the main thing, and we just have to be careful with this. And you think about a lot of false religions, they get started with dreams. And another thing you have to be careful with is your own dreams. I mean, I, sometimes you remember dreams, and some are very pointed. Some are just darn out weird. A and... I don't know exactly why. Would you think God knows that you're dreaming? Or is he like, I don't know. Well, of course he knows you're dreaming, right? And is it possible that God could give you a message through a dream? Yeah. But should you be looking for it? That's the thing. It's like, I wouldn't use that over and above the wisdom that you get from the scriptures and other believers. If God wants to give you a dream, go for it. I mean, that's, you know, just don't sleep too much, especially you younger ones, you know. It's, don't sleep your whole life away. Because people ask me, did you have a good night's sleep? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I was asleep the whole time. Yeah. I mean, again, you just got to be careful with these. In this case, here's an example of they're using their dreams. We can do that. Um, and I think y you can use that to say, I mean, what would you do if somebody came up to you and said, God came to me in a dream and said that you're supposed to give me ten thousand dollars is that enough to make you think twice um would you want to know if the dream was really from god because you don't want to go against god right you know see the problem i mean you can and that's i think what happened here these false teachers would say well i have a dream not the martin luther king type but the but i've got a dream that tells me that i can do things and you need to follow me and do what i say regardless of what Scripture says. You know, it's, you just be careful with that stuff. Um, can God work through dreams? Sure. Is that his norm? It doesn't seem like it to me. I don't, there's not one verse in the Bible that says, take a nap and God will tell you what you need to know. Uh, just be careful with it. Now, he does use them. I, mean, I don't know if you've... Uh, Nabel Qureshi is a, was a Muslim that became a Christian, and he's, he passed on from cancer at a fairly young, young age. But, but he's an example of somebody that had a dream. 
And you see this in the Muslim world a lot because uh, the Bible's not as uh, accessible as it is in, in, in some of the other places. And so you'll, you'll get these, they get these dreams, some of them have talked about. But it's odd, not odd, interesting that a lot of times in the dream, the angel or the person who's there is telling them to go find the book. Go find the book, you know. Even the dream's telling them to. But, you know, God does what he wants, you know. And it's like, uh, in America... You know, you can walk out there and grab a study Bible. You don't need a dream to get the word. And again, if God wants to use it, he can. So they let their dreams overrule biblical teaching is what he's like. That's the problem. Where's your authority? Uh, and pollute their bodies. And I think that's what was going on here. He's, he's against that. They also rejected authority and slandered celestial beings. That's what it says. Um, you get this word, slander, you get the word blasphemy. Blasphemy is just the idea of, of saying wrong words about God because that's what you believe. That's a blaspheme, and it's bad if you do that. They blaspheme what they do not know, he said. And Jude illustrates this with an example from the archangel Michael, which is interesting. We hear about Michael in Daniel, and he's in the book of Revelation. Um, seems like a fairly powerful dude, um, if I was going to draw a picture of Michael, he'd be ripped. Um, big dude, r very important. You can, Daniel's a really interesting, because uh, Gabriel's in there too, and it's kind of an interesting little fight they're going on. But, but this is interesting. We know Moses didn't enter the promised land. You remember why not he didn't? Because yeah, he got ticked off, you know, and I'm like, man, I've done that once, twice, maybe two more times. You know, I mean, it seems like kind of, but again, that's between God and him. He didn't enter the promised land. He dies on Mount Nebo in Deuteronomy 34. So we know he dies before he goes in. But Jude here is quoting uh, outside the Bible text called the Assumption of Moses. Uh, and in it, Michael is sent to bury the body of Moses. Now, you might be thinking, well, why isn't it this in the Bible? Because it's not all inspired is why. But it doesn't mean there aren't true things in, in texts that aren't in the Bible, right? I mean, I don't know if you read the paper this morning, but it might say that the sunset is at 7.52, I think. Let's assume that's true. Um, is that true? Well, if, if it's 7.52, so, but does that mean the whole paper's inspired? But we can still use the truth of that, right? You know, we got truth in math books, right? You know, square root of nine is three, right? I think, yeah. Well, that doesn't mean every math book's inspired. That's not the point. It's so, obviously, this account in the Assumption of Moses must have had truth to it. And so, it's an interesting <laughs> account. Can you imagine this? <laughs> We're not dreaming here. So, the devil argues with Michael about whether or not who has the right over Moses' body. And, you know, this begs some questions I have. Do you have any questions about, you know, what does it matter? He's dead. Um, well, it must matter something, right? Uh, I don't know what to do with that. But the point he's using, he's not going to, he doesn't really get into why it, that all happened and what's going on up there. And, um, but the, the idea is that Michael, as powerful as he was, possibly the most powerful angel there is, uh, at least up there, 
did not dare to bring a, sand, bring a slanderous accusation against the devil and just says, the Lord rebuke you. What's he mean by that? He's like, you know what? I can probably take you out. I'm just paraphrasing here. <laughs> if the Satan and Michael won, I, you know, I'd, I'd say probably two to one odds on Michael is my, I guess. But he didn't do that. He's humble. He's just like, well, let the Lord take care of it. So the point is, you know, we don't, you don't do that. You don't slander God's, God's holy ones, even the fallen ones. That's God's job. It's kind of the whole idea. It's not our job to punish people who don't believe and have air eternally. We can tell them they're wrong, but I can't do anything with their soul. That's God's job. Let the Lord rebuke you. You know, and I think that's the whole point. But these guys aren't doing that. They think they're more important, and they're slandering and saying things against God's, even God's anointed ones. So they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They say bad words and say things against not only the angels that looks like probably Jesus. And they claim more authority than even an archangel, which is arrogant. And that's the thing, one thing you can always think about. And it's hard sometimes, I realize, because you stand up here saying... I'm pretty sure this is what this means. A lot of this isn't that hard, right? I mean, you don't need a PhD in theology to know that Jesus is the only way, right? It's pretty clear. You might not like it, but it, you, it's, that's what it says. Uh, you don't need all that. So it's, some of this is quite easy, but sometimes we get into these texts, we have to do a little work with them to try to figure them out. Well, you're obviously trying to find the true meaning, but you've got to be humble about it. And it, it shouldn't be pointing back to us, the preacher or the people. Um, I've always said that. If you're going to tell somebody about your faith, it's great to tell people how you came to faith. But don't let them leave. All they know is how you came to faith. Leave knowing who you have faith in. Because they're going to come to it different than you did. Point them to Jesus. You can tell them how it came. That's great. It's, it's personal. But it's Jesus you're pointing them to, not your experience of Jesus. And so I think we have to be humble. Um, these guys' this fallen instinct, uh, they had this instinct of just doing what was the best for them instead of humbly following God. So humility, look for that. In leadership, look for that in people. That you've got to be humble before God at least. You know, people walking around saying, I'm anointed. For what? You know what the, the Greek word for anointed is? Christos. Heard that before? You know what the, the, the Hebrew word is? Messiahka or Messiah. It's like, eh, be careful with that anointed word. Uh, don't do that. And I, I wonder if these guys were doing that, their instinct. And that is our instinct to lift ourselves up. I'm not talking about false humility. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sure a bunch of you will say this right after the, after the service. Say, oh, that was a really good sermon. Right? And I'll just be humble, right? <laughs> but you know what false humility, you say, well, no, that was terrible. That was, well, well that, maybe it was halfway decent. You know, that's okay. But again, does it point people to Christ? That's your main point. But there's nothing wrong with being, well, yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty good. You know? And you're thinking, this one, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but again, that's the idea. Don't be, God gives us gifts to bring people to Christ and to help us show his love for people. You don't have to say it doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. Good for you. But is it pointing to Christ or you? That's the problem it looks like these guys are in. So Michael, on the other hand, has extreme respect. He knows. 
He's not God. He wouldn't even rebuke Satan, the fallen angel, but instead, let God take care of that. You get to Revelation 20, great white throne judgment, the devil gets thrown in to the bottomless pit. God takes care of it. It's not our job to take care of it. And Michael knew that. And that's really his point. You kind of, you know, you wonder, it's like, why put this assumption? Again, I don't know. God wanted us to look at it, I guess. It's not as hard as we make it sometimes. So that's the first one. The second one is these false teachers walked in sin. And Jude turned to a triad of sins these godless people had committed and pronounced the woe to them. And if you ever want to look at the, this is the woe chapter uh, uh, of, the, of the New Testament, and, and I don't have it in here, it just came to mind. Go to, if you ever think that Jesus was always just kind of this happy lamb-petting sage, read Matthew 23. It's a different picture of Jesus. It's the woe chapter. It's very similar to a lot of this. but So he gives the way of Cain, and he just throws these off, boom, boom, boom. He's assuming you guys know this stuff. And we kind of remember Cain a little bit, right? Was Cain the good one or the bad one? He was kind of the bad one. I've colored Cain when I was a kid, and he's a bad one. You know, you make him pink, you know. <laughs> I but, but so what does he mean when he says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of, what's the way of Cain? You remember what Cain did, right? It doesn't say a lot. We're actually talking about this in our Hebrews class this morning. That it doesn't really say why God rejected his sacrifice, but they had to have before, you know, we talked about that with the communion. We don't have the Mosaic Covenant yet here in Genesis 4, but somewhere along the line, God must have told these guys, you needed to sacrifice, you need to have some of these coming near things for you to come near to me. We don't know any more than that, but we know Cain brings. Uh, offering of what he did. He was a farmer, so he brought some grain. And then you've got Abel, who, his younger brother, who brings the lamb. And all it says is that the sacrifice of Cain was not acceptable to God. It's probably a hard issue, is my guess, that maybe Cain was worshiping God according to his own understanding and not according to what God said. Probably wasn't a lot of humility there. And then... It didn't go well after he got rejected, did it? Y'all remember what he did? Did he just kick his little brother? No, he killed his little brother. You think about that. In the first four chapters of Genesis, we got the creation of all the universe, everything in the universe, creation of the image bearers of God, the fall of man, maybe the fall of angels, most likely there, and we got the first murder from the two brothers from the people that were the first people. That's a lot of stuff in four chapters. So the rest of it, we start working the meaning out by looking at this coming up in other places like Jude. So this is probably what happens, probably a lack of humility. So he says that these, woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain. They walk in the way they want to instead of following. And, and if you remember back in that account, God actually came to him and said, you know, sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. You know, he even gave him a warning. Still didn't work. And... That's sad. Uh, you think that'd be enough information, but it, it wasn't for him. And these people have the apostolic revelation, and they're not believing. And then you have Balaam's there. Now, this is a fun story. I don't know if I've colored this one. Maybe later. Um, remember the Balaam one in Numbers? This is where you get the talking donkey, which I really think is cool. Um, wasn't there a show on many moons ago? Was that Francis? 
Is Francis a talking mule? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's close to a donkey. The, uh, and there's an angel. You remember that? You know, if, just a very quick synopsis. You've got this Balaam guy. For some reason, God's working through a little bit, but he's really not a true follower of God, of Yahweh. And they got the, this other king wants him to go curse the Israel, Israelites so that they can win the war. And God kind of, to paraphrase, says, don't do that. And then Balaam's going to get paid enough money so he is going to go do it, and on the way, his donkey sees an angel that he doesn't see. Who said numbers was boring? This is cool. Made-for-TV movie right here. And if you remember, the, the, the donkey can see the angel, and he's like, I ain't going. I mean, he's got a flaming sword. I'm sure he's ripped. Maybe it's Michael. I don't know. And what, what does Balaam do? He smacks the donkey. And eventually, the uh, the, the God opens his eyes, and he sees if it wasn't for the donkey, he would be dead. But in the midst of that, the donkey turns around and again paraphrasing, can't you see that guy? So the talking donkey. And and I know people make fun of that, but it's like, I don't know. God wanted a donkey to talk. You know, do what he wants. Doesn't happen that often. Now, if you go to a petting zoo, I wouldn't presume that the donkey's going to talk to you. That would be weird, as far as we know, it only happened once. But this is the same thing. What happened? They're, these people are abandoning the truth of God for personal monetary gain. We have that today, right? I mean, you can turn on some of the, some of them are good, some televangelists are good, some are bad. How do you know? Listen, if they're telling you to touch your television and give all the money that you have to them, and I'll guarantee you money back. That's just a spiritual Ponzi scheme. Don't do that. If they're preaching the word of God truly, and if you want to send money to them because they're doing that, that's up to you. You can monetary gain. These guys must have been doing that too. They're fleecing the flock. Maybe they did it with the dream. You know, like I said, you know, we had that, the $10,000 dream. And why stop at 10? Keep going. And then we had Korah's rebellion. This was a... They rebelled in, in number 16 against God's appointed leadership. At that time, it was Moses and Aaron, but I think the a point here is they're going against the apostolic authority. And so there's a problem. So we've got these examples that, and what did God do to these? Well, you can read about it. It didn't go well for Cain for the most part. It, Balaam did not have a good time in, in the Korah thing. You can read that one. That went really bad for them. Punishment eventually. So he's warning them. And again, you think about, if you go, what do you go to the Bible for? We talked about that again at the, our, you know, most people I hear, well, I go to the Bible for comfort. And then you read Jude and you're like, this isn't very comforting. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe you don't need comfort. I don't know. If you want to go to the Bible for comfort, go to, you know, Psalm 23 or, you know, or Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give rest for you. There's a lot of comfort in there, but that's not the only thing in the Bible. Sometimes we just need to be warned. And is it loving or unloving to warn you of real danger? Now, if you go out today and you're, you're going along, we're almost done with construction season in Iowa, but we're, we're still going in some places, the dreaded orange sign. Don't you hate that? I think I'm going to make it on time. Oh, no, orange sign. I'm just, I'll be late. And you text them, and then you get picked up for texting, so it's a mess. But 
But I think if you go and, you, and, and you, they're working on it and they've been doing it in town and you've got half the road's gone and if you pull in there, your, your, your vehicle's going to get destroyed. And they're like, well, we don't want to bother people with warnings. It makes people mad. So we won't say anything. And then you go in there and you're going to be mad that you didn't get warned? I mean, warnings are very loving and gracious if they're warning something real. That's the key. You know, why did Jesus get in the Pharisees' face in Matthew 23? Why is Jude getting in the face of these leaders? Because he's trying to warn them that if you don't change, there's going to be an eternal consequence. That's loving, isn't it? I think it is. It'd be unloving to not warn them. To tell your kid, oh, go ahead and put your hand on the stove. It'll burn, but well, I don't want to make you feel bad by warning you, you know. And I don't know if you knew it, but if you do have a hairdryer, do not use that sucker in the shower. It's right on there. It's a very loving warning. has nothing to do with litigation, I'm sure. Um, so number three, the godless people were deceptive leaders. We get this and they, they've got all these images. They were like hidden reefs. I like that. They look safe from the surface but very dangerous as you go deeper in their teachings. If you go even to Lakeview or up to Okoboji or wherever, if you're, if you're jet skiing or you're on your boat, they got these boys that say, stay, why? It looks good. That water looks the same as that water. Why can't I go? Well, it's, it's underneath. And that's the thing. You know, anybody can sound good. What are they really teaching? If you get deep into their teachings, there's a problem. Um, you get that in, in a lot of different pseudo-Christian uh, cultic practices, it sounds like Jesus, but then you get deeper and it doesn't sound as much like Jesus as I thought. So somehow they'd gained positions as shepherds um, and they were serving for selfish reasons. They said they participated in the love feast, which was a kind of a catch-all word for, that included the Lord's Supper, but they're only feeding themselves. They're not pointing people to Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So maybe he's talking about the, the, the same people that are here. I don't know. But this was supposed to be about Jesus, and it's becoming about, we got more money than you do, so we have better food. And so Jude is using all these word pictures, and I thought this one was very appropriate for today. Clouds without rain. Seems like the last four or five days I've woke up and it's like, hey, maybe it's going to rain. Nah, just teasing you. Get a little do, that's it. But they gave hope of true teaching, the living water that Jesus talks about, but they don't perform. It's a form of deceit. It looks good, but there's nothing there. But it, it's the... It's telling people what they want to hear. Uh, they were like autumn trees without fruit, the same thing. Autumn in the Middle East is the time when the fruit on the trees is expected, but you get to the tree and there's nothing there. And if you go back to Psalm 1, I, I like the way it's put in the Old Testament, a, a good psalm uh, to remember. It said, he, the one who follows God does not stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the teaching of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. That's, that's the idea here. 
he's emphasizing the spiritual death that comes when you are not bearing fruit for Christ, but bearing fruit for yourself. And finally, they're like wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Perhaps their shame came from polluting their own bodies. We know that was probably a problem. They had dreams, I think, that said that you can do whatever you want with your body, but you can be spiritually pure. Um, so you think about this picture is the, the ocean surf washing up on the shore, bringing litter and garbage following up the whole beach. That's kind of the picture that you, he uses these cool word pictures to help us understand. So ultimately, they're described as these wandering stars destined for blackness, blackest darkness forever. So he's talking about them going to eternal damnation because they don't believe the eternal destiny of these godless people, all these different phrases heaped up over and over again. We have this warning that keeps coming um, in verse 6, this darkness is mentioned in relationship with the fallen angels. And that is the belief of the New Testament that the same place that the Satan and his angels will end up in Revelation 20 is also the people who don't follow Jesus. If your name is not written in the book of life. And you've you, you got to come back to this and think, okay, do you like this teaching? That's an interesting thing to think about. But probably more important, is it true? You know, it's out there that as long as you breathe and you don't kill anybody, very often, you'll go to heaven. You know, and, and, you know, maybe that's true, but is that what Jesus taught? Is that what Jude taught? Is that what Paul taught? No, not even close. You know, we, we took the communion, you know, these so we could come near to him. Why die on a cross if everybody's going to go to heaven anyway? doesn't make any sense. There must be a problem to have a solution that drastic. And that's what Jude's trying to point to. Don't follow these, these promises that are out there. I, I mean, it'd be neat. I, I would, it'd be great if I could promise you, come to worship and you'll find a lucky penny before you get home today. I don't know. Or you'll, you'll be successful. Or if you're sick, you'll be healed. I, we can't promise those things. We can hope for them. We can pray for them. But that's not what the gospel's about. I can tell you what you want to hear. You can tell people you want to hear. Jesus could have told people what they wanted to hear. If Jesus told people what they wanted to hear, you think they would have killed him? If Jesus was this nice guy that said, you know what, I think I'm the only way, but if you don't believe that, that's really okay. Why would they kill somebody for that? You know, no offense to Mr. Rogers, but who's going to kill Mr. Rogers? Why did they kill him? <laughs> Maybe go back to Matthew 23. Because he didn't back down from who he was. He didn't back down from saying he's the only way. And he didn't back down from the loving warnings that he gives himself and through those that write the New Testament, which is what we're reading today. So he clearly warns of eternal punishment that await God's enemies. And that's anybody that doesn't accept his grace, which is really what the gospel is all about. Let us pray. Father, we look at these warnings in it. Uh, I don't know if it brings us comfort at the first blush, but I guess if we think about this logically and with our hearts, we start remembering that this is very, very comforting, that every problem that we have today, every thing that can make us uh, feel sad and suffering that we go through is uh, 
Well, as Paul said, a light momentary affliction if we think about the eternal glory that you give all that believe. So for each one, whatever they're walking through today, help them focus on your word. Take these warnings as loving and focus on your son in whose name we pray. Amen.